Hey, this is Russell. Today on the show, I have Frederic Irwin, and I was really excited to talk to her because she and her family just got back from a year in New Zealand. And the trip raised for me all sorts of questions that I've been thinking about lately about the decisions we make as parents for our kids and the decisions that we make for ourselves and how those two might interact with each other. And I wanted to talk to her about how she thought through those issues uh, before taking the kids, during, and as she's come back. Before we start, I have a quick announcement, which is that this podcast is now on all the major podcast apps. So go find it on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. And please, please do share it. And I hope you enjoy Frederic Irwin. Frederic Irwin, welcome to the podcast, What Really Matters. How are you? I'm good. Thanks, Russell. Thanks for having me. So uh, you are uh, you have a small business. You recently returned with your family t- uh, from a year in New Zealand. Right. And I want to mostly talk about what that decision was like to take your family there for a year. Uh, what it was like uh, moving to the other side of the world, to New Zealand, and uh, then a little bit about what it was like to come back and reintegration into the U.S. Mm-hmm. So basically reason... you want it all. You want the whole <laughs> thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And I, I wanted to have the conversation with you because I think you've written somewhat eloquently about this on a blog that you kept over mm-hmm. the past year, which we will link to. And also because I think that it is um, a fantasy, if you will, of a lot of families to basically take a year or to take some time and and leave with their kids to another place and experience another culture. And though it's, you know, fantasy, I don't think a lot of families actually follow through on it. Mm. And you did. So why don't you tell me... You know, where did this idea come from and what was the discussion like in your family about whether to do it or not? Mm, sure. Yeah, this has been an idea that's been brewing for quite some time. Um, Jesse, my husband, and I have always said that at some point before it was quote unquote too late, we wanted to take our kids and we have three. A year ago, they were 12, 11, and five. So we wanted to take the three of them abroad to experience something other than Washington, D.C., and to really get exposed to a different culture. And as background, my both my parents are French. I grew up um, traveling a, an, an enormous amount, um, and I lived in Russia for a year. I've moved around quite a bit. And um, it wasn't very, I wouldn't say that it wasn't very daunting, but it didn't feel insurmountable from my perspective, this idea of packing it up and leaving. It did take me quite some time to convince Jesse, I think not because he didn't want to go, but more from the um, perspective of managing a career. So I think that that probably was really the most challenging piece to overcome, to think about you know, what, what would happen if we took a year off and how does that look? And then how do you come back and do you come back to the same job? Do you get a new job? Do people think you're a big bum for doing this? You know, all that sort of stuff. Um, so your husband is a physician. Mm-hmm. 
and a former colleague of mine, mm-hmm. disclaimer. Yeah. Uh, so, and he was more or less able to port his job over to New Zealand, although he did have to leave, mm-hmm. you know, a company behind that he had been working for, right? Yeah. So was that part of the fear for him? Oh, yeah. Well, and so just for context, I think one of the beautiful things about our experience last year is that New Zealand and Australia are, t- are two countries that recognize American medical training. So if you are a physician in, or or in the medical practice, in the middle, medical industry, generally speaking, um, it's relatively easy to find work in one of those countries. We had tried before New Zealand, France, because, you know, with all of the family that I have there, that was where we had first looked. However, France does not have the same reciprocity with the United States for medicine. So um, we were not in a position where we thought we could just go for a year without working. And my business is, I was able to do it remotely, but we also needed him to work. Um, so tell me about your business. So I run a company called Her Corner that I founded about eight years ago, and we are education providers for women-owned businesses. So I kind of say we're like a girls' school for women business owners. So we, we teach women, not startups, but women who have you know, businesses a few years in how to scale their companies. And we do that through kind of accelerator programs, private coaching, and we're in Washington, New York, Philadelphia, Montana, Baltimore currently. Mm-hmm. So you knew this was probably a business you could uh, manage remotely, at least for a little while. Yeah. And New Zealand was in part chosen because of the reciprocity uh, uh, in terms of medical practice. Were there any other driving factors in, in why New Zealand? Um, yeah. If you ask Jesse, he'd tell you because <laughs> of the surf. <laughs> um, sure. Poor man's been landlocked in Washington, D.C. for 15 years since we've been here. Um but obviously the fact that they speak English. So when we thought about our kids, it would be a certainly an easier experience to put them in schools in New Zealand if there wasn't a language barrier. Um, and it really was a place that we've always wanted and dreamed of going. It's so stinking far that we, you know, we hadn't made it there yet. So, so your kids... Uh, how old again when they, when you, when, when you decided to leave? When we decided to leave, we had two in middle school. So one entering seventh, one entering sixth and one entering kindergarten. So it's a big range. So Mm -hmm. how did they, how did you approach telling them what it is you were going to (laughs) do? Yeah, this is tricky. I'll tell you one thing that I learned that I share with anybody thinking about going abroad now. That is that if you are thinking about going abroad with kids, the cutoff age is about 11 years old. After 11 years old, it gets much more difficult to take them over there, have them make friends, um, bring them back. You're dealing with kind of the social pressures of middle school, the fear of missing out, all that sort of stuff. Um, And so as expected, our at the time 10 going on 11, she was thrilled. And the five-year-old's along for the ride, right? He was just like, what, really? Okay, great. But the the 10 going on 11 was thrilled. She saw this as a huge um, opportunity. She was walking around with her Nat Geo Book of the World and was telling us where we would go to travel. My 12 going on 13 was really upset. He wouldn't talk to us for a little while. He was devastated that we would take him out of his school, which he loved. He was genuinely fearful of getting behind, which really was one of the big reasons we wanted to take him out of the pressure cooker of Washington. 
You know, even in mm. sixth grade, he was already feeling that intense pressure of getting, you know, on the honor roll and doing the you know best he could do and always keeping up and the hours of homework and all that sort of stuff. So he was not happy. Um, and we just had to ask him to trust us. And it was hard. It was really hard. But, um, you know, we got... So how long did it take for him to, you know not get on board yeah. necessarily, but to, but to start looking forward to it as an experience that, you know, he would have to meet. Uh, you know. I don't think he was a hundred percent on board, frankly, even until we got there. Um, I mean, he was along for the ride and he was, the excitement was building and, you know, he he was, he wasn't a bad sport about it. Let's just put it that way. But one of the things that I, I have to say, I am so grateful to run her corner because through her corner, I have access to business owners that run the gamut, including people who do um, leadership development and transitional development. <laughs> so one of the first things I did when I arrived was I reached out to these business owners and I said, okay, what do I need to know about transition? Because I had naively thought, look, how hard can this be? You know, Drawing on my own personal experiences of moving abroad. And I will say that if you've moved abroad by yourself in the past, it has nothing on moving as a family of five. And the reason is that each one of those little people is going through the transition at a different stage. And what I really learned from this business owner is that change is a transaction, but transition is the emotional process. So change is easy. Change is packing up your house, getting on the plane, got the logistics, check, check, check. The process of the transition is really chock full of emotional pieces and really has different phases um, to get from leaving to acclimated. And So tell me about that, that emotional journey that you went on. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it was rough. What were the phases? It was rough. The first, um, so first of all, we left here uh, in our you know, Northern Hemisphere summer, right, when the kids were out of school, and we landed in the middle of winter. And... I saw it again, you know, we've, we've had American families come in and replace us this last month. Right. And I'm watching it with them. When you move, you don't really think about what it's going to feel like to land somewhere in the dead of winter where the nights are at five o'clock and it's cold. And even you go to the grocery store and you're looking at, you know, soups and root vegetables and like, it's a massive physical kind of shock to the system. Um, the hardest part for us was that Jesse immediately acclimated. He went from like, <laughs> you know, it was bad. It was bad to the point where I was like, is something wrong with you that you don't miss anyone back home? <laughs> like, like, what kind of person am I married to? You know, like, you're just so happy here. And he was really genuinely happy because it's a beautiful place to practice medicine, right? It's a socialist country, so everybody's covered. Um, it's just a more reasonable experience, and he maybe he has talked to you about that. He lived at yeah. the ocean. He could go surfing twice a day, three times a day if he wanted to. The cost of living is low. Education is excellent and free. I mean, check off the box. Like, he was like, this is amazing, amazing, amazing. He was just, you know, anyways... Meanwhile, so he, he got right on with yeah. it. So, so yeah. 
What was I did not. What were you and the kids dealing with? <laughs> so uh, I'll start with the kids. The kids, um, so the oldest one, Lucas, was the one we were the most worried about. So we put the most amount of effort into him, talking to the principal and getting him in the right class. And you know what? He kind of did so much better than we expected. He was within a month genuinely worried about these great friends he was meeting because he was worried about how it would feel when he would leave them. And we were like, oh, you know what? You're going to be just fine. <laughs> like, you are going to be okay. So he he quickly transitioned and through social media stayed in touch with friends back home and built himself a life there. We got him into his sports and you know the social activities and all that sort of stuff. My daughter, who um, I always say she leads with yes, then she gets somewhere and she goes, oh, wait a minute. And so she, you know, we had to find a different school for her than the first one we'd gotten. It wasn't quite the right fit. Um, it took a little while and it was harder than we had expected. Um, probably took about two months for her to find her groove and to not feel like she was missing out back home and she didn't have any friends. And she's, you know, one thing we learned as a family is we are a family of extroverts. So there's not one single real introvert among us. And so there really has to constantly be social engagement, which is hard. Wow, my, my family is entirely introverted. <laughs> so, you, <laughs> so you would not have the same problems as we had. <laughs> we really had to have a, a really a full social calendar or, or stuff that we were doing. Otherwise, you know, everybody's kind of like, wah, wah, you know. So, and that's hard again when you land in winter and you don't know anybody. Um, so, you know, Chloe, my middle daughter, who was going on 12, was, uh, had a little bit of a harder time but also within a few months made some exceptional friends. I mean, just really lovely, sweet girls um, and had an incredible year of friendship that was so much deeper than friendships here. They're just, it's just different. You know, it's like, what made them deeper? It's, you know, uh, I'll give you an example on the way home. One of the first things my daughter said to me is mom, I'm seeing all these girls that I haven't seen them for a year. And the first thing they're telling me is how busy they are. Like they want to see me, but they're mm -hmm. so busy. And she's like, what the heck are they doing? She's like, it's August and nobody has school. <laughs> and she was just in her own kind of little 12 year old way, picking up on this, you know, U S obsession and status of being busy in some way. Um, yeah. Whereas that just isn't happening over there. Right. So it's, much more, you know, if you send your kid on a play date there, it's not a two hour play date. It could be like until the next day. <laughs> you know? um, it's really much more kids just do stuff. They spend time together. They, they're, they know how to be bored, but make the best of it. They're not constantly, we're not, they're, we're not worried all the time, but oh my gosh, you know, are they going to have enough to do? What do we do with them? So it just, yeah. it was really lovely. It was really lovely. The little guy, interestingly enough, he was five. His anxiety showed up in different ways. So, for example, we would see him come home from school and he had, you know, sucked on his shirt to the point where it was wet all the way down to his belly button because he was so nervous about having to make friends again. And that also had to be kind of not managed, right? But I had to really stay on top of that. So in some ways, I had grossly underestimated how quickly... I should say how long it would take for me to transition until my kids were all right. And I had just assumed I would find my own way and then I would be fine. And in fact, I couldn't even deal with finding my own way until I knew that those three were okay. 
And so it's not like on the airplane where they tell you to put your your mask on first <laughs> before you help the children. You right. waited to help the children before. Right. So what was that like for you? Um, did you have, you know, did you have a doubt that you had done the right thing ever? Or oh, yeah. Was it, oh, yeah. I was like, it? I'm out of here. <laughs> you know? um, look, I have, I run an entire business for women. I am constantly surrounded by women. My business partner and I work together all the time. Our whole team is women. Not that we don't like men, right? But like I, I live within two miles of my sister. I have my family is here. My parents are here. And so when I all of a sudden no longer had that infrastructure, it was extraordinarily lonely. And I didn't really realize how much I would miss those personal interactions. And to be honest, I had to relearn how to lean on and talk to my husband for that emotional support. <laughs> and he was willing to do it, but he's not the biggest talker, you know, or listener or whatever. So it was a work, you know, it took time. And it, at the end, really made our marriage 500 times better. We are so much better and happier now than we were a year ago. But I had to, in many ways, literally, Russell, leave everything behind and strip everything off before I could really grow into the next phase of life for me. And I mean, everything. What did you need to leave behind? What, I mean, was it a habit or what was it oh, exactly? Yeah. I mean, so for, so first of all, my family and my network, but then again, everything that I was accustomed to, I didn't use Amazon for a whole year, you know? I know. It was like, what do you mean I can't have stuff delivered? What do you mean I have to go buy school supplies in the store? What do you mean? Like, what do you mean everything's closed on Sundays? You know, having to really go from 100 miles an hour to 10 to find the time to hang my own laundry, to look at the, the weather forecast for a family of five and be like, okay, guys, we got three days of sun, we can do laundry and schedule my conference calls around an extra hour where I could make sure the laundry was done and hung so that it could be dry, you know, for that night. Just for context, I, I had a trip to New Zealand when I was in college. They don't do dryers no. there, do they? No. They just don't have them. They, maybe yeah. they do. We didn't have them, right? So, yeah. so it really was like coming, crashing into a, a brick wall and just being like, you know, and then be like, oh, crap, you know. And um, so there were a lot of things. Those first four months were really hard for me from a, uh, the perspective of, you know, the weather and just kind of feeling lonely, worried about my kids. And there were a number of times where my husband, Jesse, was like, well, I'm glad we rented our house out to someone else for the year because at least you don't have that as an option <laughs> to go home to because I was would have probably considered, you know, turning around and going home. But. Yeah, for I was going to ask how long this feeling lasted, and four months is a long time. I mean, it's far longer than most people ever travel anywhere yeah. for. And if you think back to your vacations where you went for a week or two weeks, yeah. you know, they just pale in comparison to the mental change that happens when you've been somewhere for that long. Yeah. And yeah, what, you know, if you had gone to New Zealand for three months or even half, you know, let's say you decided to go for half of a school mm -hmm. year, which meant you would have shown up 
and then you would have basically left almost before you were able to really settle down into the lifestyle there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so talk about what happened after the, <laughs> these, these form, what you started to come out of it and then what happened? Yeah. Uh, and so by the way, the other piece of advice I, I learned and that I was given, if you're going to go abroad, make it for two years because the, it takes mm -hmm. a year to figure it all out, make some friends, get some systems, get a routine. And then the second year, you really reap all the benefit. So <laughs> I wish I'd known that. Um, mm. You know, the truth is four months later, put us into about November and it was, the weather was spectacular. It was just everything, everybody was getting cold back here at home and we were going full on into summertime and we were starting to have visitors. We had loads of visitors. And all of a sudden, I, my kids were in school and they were doing great. I was back to a routine with my business. I had found a way to kind of meet other women, meet other people. We'd started to have a social life. Like it was, um, and I had, I had kind of let go of that, you know, intensity that I bring with me when I'm in Washington because, you know, that's kind of how you have to be. And so I would say by November, four months later, it was really great. And then, of course, what was hilarious is that fast forward to March, we were like, maybe we should stay. <laughs> you know. Um, so it wasn't it didn't take a year for me to think like, this is really good. Um, but by, you know, by March, by the end of the summer, I was like, okay, I really get it now. And why would I possibly want to go back, you know, after, after all this? So, and you know, what, yeah. So is the depth of the relationships that you are forming there, you know, the environment itself, um, the kids feeling healthy and happy in their environments. Um, what is it about New Zealand, you know, <laughs> Or maybe other countries you've traveled to. I, I think the U.S. is particularly bad at a lot of these social uh, connectedness type of, you know, soft qualities. And I've lived in Washington D.C. for eight years. Certainly have felt the difficulty of forming strong friendships and relationships here. What 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 is it like there? Why is that possible? Well, so I will say. Um, Kiwis tend to keep to tend keep to themselves more so than Americans do. So building really good friendships is not that easy. Um, I would say you're more likely here in the U.S. to get not necessarily deep, you know, meaningful friendships overnight. But I will say Americans are very welcoming, very chatty, very open compared to most of the people we are meeting. Now, everybody was super nice and polite and happy to meet us, right? But it wasn't this, it's, it's a different, it's kind of a, we're going to wait and see how we feel about you over there before we just welcome you in. Now, once you're in, you're in. It's awesome. Um, part of why we wanted to talk about staying was less about the relationships, even though we were building really beautiful friendships and, and nice um, relationships. It was about the quality of life um, that we had there that we don't have here. And the question that we have regularly asked ourselves is, could we have that same quality of life, lifestyle somewhere else in the United States? You know, do we just not know? I mean, Jesse's from New York. I'm from D.C. We've lived in other places, but 
Um, or is it just, you know, the U.S. is this capitalistic machine where you have to work like a dog sometimes because the fear of losing a job or losing an income or, you know, is real, right? There's no safety net. We're not a country that if you lose a job, you're going to be okay if it takes you 12 months to find something. If you have a medical emergency, you could yeah. lose it all, right? So yeah. um, anyway, so that, or the decision was really more of the fact that we lived in a country all of a sudden where um, you didn't have to make a huge salary. There were, there were no, there are great uh, boarding schools in New Zealand, but the public schools are excellent. And to be a teacher is one of the most kind of respected professions. Like the whole education system is incredible. Um, and, you know, excess is frowned upon. That's like a national value. So nobody is buying stuff for the sake of buying stuff. You only have a nice car if you're a car person, not because everybody else on the block has a nice car, you know? Um, yeah. So it it's just, it was very much appeals to people who want to get away from all of this kind of keeping up with the Joneses, the pace, the neurotic kind of pace that we all have, certainly in Washington and elsewhere. Um, so I can picture you and Jesse maybe at the house in New Zealand and which, which one of you want broached this subject first? Like maybe we should stay. <laughs> well, I mean, my <laughs> husband was ready to stay. I've told you after like two weeks, right? So he was uh, just waiting for me to say, cause he was not going to go there. Cause he had seen me go through such a hard time at the beginning. So it's probably me. Probably me. Uh, well, what was the discussion? Did you, Here's what I'm, I'm sort of curious about. You know, you had only rented your house in DC out for a year. Yeah. So there was a clock yeah. on, you know, this. So how seriously did you really take the idea of staying longer? We would we were not going to stay longer consecutively. So the mm. discussion was should we come home, allow our oldest son to graduate from his school, which we had made him that promise, and then come back. Right. So come home, wrap up some things, allow me the time to figure out what to do with my business, maybe sell our house. Right. We had some things we had. We have pets. We had a whole situation here um, and then go back. That was so it wasn't we were offered a either a one or a five year visa when we went. And I had specifically said one only. So we actually had to leave the country after a year. I knew that taking that five year visa would be Pandora's box. So. We we're coming back after a year. Our kids are in some schools where you, they'll only hold the spot for you for a year, right? So it would have been more complicated had we gone for two years. Um, and again, you know, the older your kids are, the closer you start bumping into high school where uh, during years where you want a little bit of stability as they go through those more intense years and start thinking about college. So, yeah. So you, uh, one of the things you wrote on the blog, and I've I've probably read this post three or four times now. I encourage everyone to go read it, and I'll link to it again. But you walk through this decision, and you you said that there were two. You felt you had two main jobs as a parent. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. What, what were those, and and how did you think about moving back in the in the context? Of yeah, that job? I, you know, I don't have the exact wording in front of me, but this is my this is my personal philosophy: is that as a parent. 
it's your job to provide the best possible childhood for your child. And that involves your children feeling safe and being happy and having the best that you can give them. And you, it's also your job to set them up as best you can for their future. They then choose what they want their future to look like. But it's your job to be able to give them as many options as you possibly can. And I boiled it down to really those two jobs, if you will. And I took out for a second everything to do with, you know, family and relationships and emotions. I said, no, let me just take all of that and set it aside and really look at this from the lens of these two jobs. If those are my jobs as their parent, where would I, where could I best do those jobs in the U.S. or in New Zealand? And the difficult thing was there is, there remains no doubt in my mind that I could do that first job of giving them the best possible childhood where they feel safe and they're happy and they're in New Zealand. No doubt. No doubt. Honestly, Russell, they, um, they felt so safe when there was, um, the shooting in Christchurch in March, my oldest son, Lucas was so upset. And the reason he was upset was because he said that we had broken our promise to him that he would be safe for a year. He had like this almost PTSD-like response to the shooting, even though we weren't anywhere near Christchurch. But he couldn't, he was so upset. So you raise your kids in New Zealand and it's like going back to the 1970s. You know, I mean, the kids are free. They are, um, you know, school is is a much more kind of open learning sort of environment where they encourage them to think about all different things like middle school. It's not, you know, your basic English, math, social studies, religion, and, or maybe not religion, but uh, whatever subjects it's, what do you want to learn about? It's here's some music, here's some digital art, here's some, you know, history of architecture, here's some random languages, here's the history of war. Like, Here's woodworking, like it's the whole gamut. And um, they have no homework. They have no homework as children until high school. And so it encourages them to pick up so many sports. These kids are so active. My my daughter was like, I finally understand why nobody has homework in New Zealand because there's no time because you're doing so many sports. So my daughter, who had already begun to feel the pressure of, you know, social media and how you look and am I good enough and am I this enough? She got to New Zealand and she did more athletics than she has ever done. And her self-confidence just bloomed. It was incredible, you know? So, so from that perspective, really no doubt in my mind and talk about kind of as a parent, you know, I don't even want to share what we, we don't even Put, we have one kid in public school and two kids in parochial school. They are not in the independent schools, right? So we're not at the high, high end of, of tuition payments, but it's expensive. And you add childcare on top of that and everything else here. And all of a sudden you realize that in New Zealand, you can spend a whole lot more time with your kids. You save a lot more money because you're not paying for whatever schools you're paying. Everything is much easier to get to. I mean, Russell, how old are your kids? I have a nine-year-old son and I have two stepkids who are 15 and 13. Okay. So imagine that nine-year-old, you put him in soccer, right? 
So I sat down on my laptop and I was ready to like, you know, download the, all the schedules, like who's got practice where on what day and where do I have to be? And I asked the coach, I said, okay, so when's practice? And she was like, what do you mean when's practice? I'm like, when's practice? Where is it? And when is it? So I know how to get a at. She's like, well, it's at lunch. Or I'm going to come to the students. How else would you possibly get any work done if you have to schlep your kid after school somewhere else? Oh my God. Uh, that would be I, I mean, transformative. Right? I was like, <laughs> what? So you're also operating in a country where there is so much gender equality that it doesn't even dawn on them that a mom would also have to, if she's working, bend over backwards and do all this other stuff, right? It's built around equality from like the bottom up. Now, I'm not saying for a second that moms over there aren't stressed out and doing everything like we all do everywhere. That is universal, right? But so that was my answer to job number one. Where could I do it better? New Zealand. Yeah. No question. And I'll tell you what. I, I would kill for that practice uh, schedule. Right? I mean, the driving in Montgomery County is yes. just horrendous. Oh my God. Horrendous. It's so bad. I mean, Jesse would move back to New Zealand tomorrow if only because of Bradley Boulevard, which like backs <laughs> up like five lights deep. It's so bad. We literally just got our son to, to school on time this morning because Bradley was so backed up, yes. basically. Yeah. So, anyway, exactly. so... Okay. So <laughs> then you have to ask yourself, where should I raise my children in order to give them the best opportunity for their future? And that's where we got into trouble. And yeah. the reason we got into trouble was that... Now, look... Let's be, let's all get on the same page. Our U.S. education system, it is a hot mess, right? I mean, you've got people bribing, you know, schools to get in. You've got income disparity, like people can't even afford it. Like it's, it's a mess, right? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, that mess hasn't caught up yet with the fact that when my kids graduate from college, a you, an American university will probably have better global like weight than perhaps a university from a foreign country, especially a small one. So I had to ask myself, myself, okay, well, I've got these kids and they're, what if I tell them you're going to university in New Zealand? And they say, fine, mom, no problem. But after that, we're American citizens. We want to go back and work wherever it is. And I had to play through that scenario and say, how much would they get out of that New Zealand university degree in the United States? They wouldn't have the university network. They wouldn't have peers. People might still know them because they grew up here for, the large, for a large part. And the truth was, I didn't think it carried as much weight. Now, if they wanted to stay in New Zealand, no problem. But what if they didn't? They're half French too. Like, what if they wanted to also maybe go to Europe? So that's where I ran into trouble, where I was like, oh, you know? Yeah, yeah. And this is one of the main questions I've struggled with. Um, not, you know, before ever reading your post, um, you know, I've thought about this as a parent too. And basically, the version of the question in my mind is, uh, you know, given that the American education system is such a hot mess in so many aspects, um, what, what, and, you know, I have EU citizenship, my son has EU citizenship, my partner and her kids uh, all have EU citizenship. 
which I uh, recognize places us in a really privileged position, which is that we could leave. Mm -hmm. We could all leave. And we could go to any country in the EU and just live there and work there and go to school there for as long as we wanted. And I have to, so just the fact of our EU citizenship has raised this question, like, when do you leave? And, uh, you know, America is maybe not at its best the past few years. I think we can all agree on that. And there are, you know, the school shootings are, I, I could talk about that for a while, but it's it's not just a problem for this, the tragedies in the schools where it happens, but it's also an issue that every kid in America now has to go through active shooter drills. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we still haven't passed healthcare for, you know, there's so many ways in which we don't take care of people in this country. Right. And there are so many uh, ways in which the, in my humble opinion, moral bankruptcy of our political leaders, I believe filters down into our culture at a really granular level that it's often in an environment I just want to get my kids out of. And, you know, I remember way back in college, my dad gave me some parental advice to the effect of, well, if you have a problem with the institution that you're in, don't just leave, uh, you know, stay and try to fix it. Mm -hmm. And I've always taken that to heart and, you know, participated in my democracy and voted and all that stuff and volunteered and ran for boards. And But there is a point, I feel like, at which if you can leave, it's time to leave. And I don't know when that point is, mm. but I'm wondering if you went through any of that thought process. Oh, yeah. That is the crux of our discussions. It's, and this is really where Jesse and I kind of, I don't know, we can't quite agree. You know, there's a lot of different pieces of this that we can agree on. Jesse will probably tell you that he thinks that it is, that all the indications are here, right? That if you can leave and you've kind of got an option, the indication is that there might be a better place to raise a family and to live your one and only life than here these days. This is not what our parents had. And I'm not, I'm not completely sure. I have enough reservation and doubt that I'm still trying to play and hedge the bets. So I still wanted to come back and give my kids, um, access to American education. Yeah. I don't I don't know. I, I really don't know if I'm wrong, if he's right, if we're wrong. I, I have no idea. But I will tell you that um there is something fundamentally wrong in the United States. And we all could point to a few examples as you just did. But there's also what I have noticed, I've only been back a month, and I'll tell you what I've noticed which is so like in my face, but probably not in yours. And that is that there is a level of fear and anxiety just below the surface. And it doesn't, it, it rears its head in different ways for different people, right? Some, for some people it makes them angry, some people sad, some people depressed or whatever. But the reason it's there is when you, well, when I flew back to the United States, uh, it's been, it had been 13 months 
and we travel a bunch of other places, right? But not in the American airspace. And you're taking that airplane and you're getting close to the United States. And all of a sudden you have your pilot that gets on the system and says, Hey, everybody, we're now entering an American airspace. So new rules. Everybody remember, you can't congregate around the bathrooms. Everybody sit, sit down. And then you land at your airport. And the first thing you see is this big sign that says, see something, say something, be vigilant. And then as soon as you sit down, in my case, you know, this was last month, um, there had just been the mass shooting at the Garlic Festival in California, and everybody's talking about it, and CNN is blaring, and, you know, it's like danger, 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 right? So you then take your kid to the first day of school. The first thing you see is a, you know, armored policeman in the front, like shepherding everybody in. Like last night, I was at back to school, and the principal is talking about what you were just talking about, like the steps they have to go through to, you know, prevent a shooting, which as he said, well, everybody needs to know how to do this these days. And we're just hoping that, you know, obviously nothing will ever happen here, but that at least they'll have a couple, you know, couple tools in their bag of tricks for their future. And I was like, what, what did he just say? You know, like it's, and you look around and nobody's blinking an eye, like nobody's batting an eye. And they are, so that's the part that, you know, back to this question of, are, is it time? Is it not time? I don't know. I mean, we met some friends in New Zealand who had moved to New Zealand from South Africa. And for some people, it took seeing their husband being gunned down to make the move. And for other people, they just said, we just can't, we couldn't live in such a violent place with so much, you know, so many attacks. So I, I think that it, it is a personal decision to decide like when it's time. But I will say um, more and more people are saying it's time. This year alone, so Jesse was the only American who came to our town to work in the ED last year. This year, there were five people that replaced him, five Americans. Um, mm. I just got back to Washington. I know three families personally that just went abroad. One went to Greece, one went to Mexico, one went to France, right? Um, So I think more and more people are saying we're out. And I don't think people are surprised because I think a lot of people are asking them the question that you're talking about. Yeah. I, uh, I saw an idea for reform for our higher educational system. I don't remember where I saw it, but the idea was essentially to... Uh, ban employers from asking the name of the university that you went to Hmm. and sort of the same way they're not allowed to ask your age or you know a few other things Um, and for people to stop putting the name of their university onto their their cvs you know their resumes yeah because part of what you're talking about i feel like is i mean yes we have some of the best universities but i think more what we have is a situation where uh, it's the prestige of the universities mm-hmm. that we're all after. It's because everyone else thinks that they're great universities that we want to make sure that we don't block off that opportunity. Right. And for my part as a parent, I, I, I think my overriding goal as a parent has to do with making sure that my kids grow up with some sort of self-awareness as to who they are uh, and what they want to do with their lives. And I just, I, I don't know if 
you know, an American university or any university, and certainly not one that is viewed as prestigious by others, has really that much to do with gaining that sort of self-knowledge. And in fact, sometimes I read stories that say exactly the opposite, like there's so much pressure at the prestigious schools that self-knowledge is the one thing that tends to fall by the wayside, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they have access to every career opportunity they could possibly want. Um, but they actually don't know which one they want. Right. Right. <laughs> um, so I, I've got a little ways and a little time to figure this out for my son, who's just an, only in third grade. But it doesn't stop me from being a little preoccupied with it anyway. Yeah, um, I wish I had some answers, but I don't. I just, I remember, yeah. you know, my, my first job... Um, out of college and before business school was in management consulting and it mattered where you went to school. And if we were looking at international resumes, um, there was pretty much only one university that we would consider out of each country. So, you know, INSEAD in France, or I forget what the name was in Spain or, um, you know, such and such university in the UK. So, you know, that that has in some ways clouded my judgment too, is the fact that um, a lot of people in New Zealand want to come to the United States to work maybe just for a year. They call it a, I forget what they call it. It's like a year abroad that they do when they're, you know, out of university for a year to go to go see what the heck is going on up there in the Northern Hemisphere. And, um, and it, it would probably be easier for them if they came out of certain universities. I think, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I'd have to yeah. talk to a few of them who have kind of applied and see how it's gone. Well, Frederic, uh, anything else that I should ask you about your transition back to the U.S.? <laughs> well, <laughs> no, no. I think, you know, I, I think that the distinction that I'm making these days is I'm really, I'm happy to be home. Um, I wouldn't say that I'm enjoying being home because it's jarring, right, to go back to that super fast pace, but I'm happy to be back. And it, it feels really nice to be in such a familiar place with family and friends again. So I well, encourage good. anybody who's thinking about it to do it, including you. <laughs> well, it was great talking to you, and thank you for coming. Sure, absolutely. Happy to be here. Thanks.